Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. I live in Southern California, Los Angeles. This is Baja Norte. If you do not speak Spanish in Los Angeles, you're missing out on a whole lot. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. And for a very limited time, LeVar Burton Reed's listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash LeVar. That's rosettastone.com slash L-E-V-A-R. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and this is LeVar Burton Reads, where in every episode I handpick a different piece of short fiction and I read it to you. The only thing these stories have in common is that I love them, and I hope you will too. Now, today's story, y'all, is a fascinating mix of horror and magical realism from the author Ana Hurtado. Ana was born in Venezuela, and she was raised in Ecuador. She earned her MFA in creative writing and environment from Iowa State University. She's currently working on a novel about a teenage immigrant in Ecuador and her first love, a ghost who's been roaming Quito for centuries. Madre Nuestra Que Estás en Maracaibo is about a woman named Yesenia, who's having some difficulties in her life. Her marriage is on the rocks. She's been educated as a lawyer, but hates the law. She moves back home to Maracaibo, Venezuela, to help take care of her family, including her grandmother, Juana, who has dementia and is growing more debilitated and closer to death by the day. However, there's kind of an interesting backstory to her grandmother. Back when she had her full mental faculties, she prayed, well, religiously to the souls stuck in purgatory, and her interactions with those souls come back to haunt her. Now, this short story was first published in the July-August 2020 issue of the magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction, and Anna spoke to them about the story's origins. She was inspired to write this story by her aunt, who told her about Anna's great-grandmother named Juana, who had a very similar ritual to the Grandma Juana in the story. Anna was also inspired by the colonial history of Latin America and by Caribbean tales of magic. This story has a few phrases in Spanish for which Anna kindly and graciously provided me the translations. I love the environment of this story and the hero's journey within, and I hope you enjoy it as well. Please check out the written description of the episode for a content advisory, if you are so inclined. And if you're ready, let's take a deep breath. (sighs) 
begin. Madre Nuestra que estás en Maracaibo by Ana Hurtado She prays to the dead for them, more like for their souls, their suffering, their destiny. The dead are her friends, beings stuck in purgatory, trying to redeem themselves with the man above before entering his kingdom. When Yesenia was 15, she told her grandmother the newest gossip going around her high school. The father of the girl she didn't like, Steffi, had killed himself. The family blamed it all on the failed restaurant business, claimed the new Kentucky Fried Chicken opened a block away overshadowed their recipes and prices. Immediately, Yesenia's grandmother Juana asked for his name. She wasn't interested in why he had committed suicide. Alejandro, por qué? Yesenia responded. She didn't understand why her grandmother quickly trotted to her bedroom, kneeled at her bed, placed her aging elbows on the bedspread, just a white sheet, it's hot in Maracaibo, and prayed, Santissima Virgen Maria, Reina del Purgatorio, vengo a depositar en tu corazón inmaculado una oración en favor de las almas benditas que sufren en el lugar de expiación. Blessed Virgin Mary, Queen of Purgatory, I pray to your immaculate heart on behalf of the blessed souls who suffer instead of reaching atonement. But now she does. Abuela prays to the dead, has done since she was a teenager. She prays to the soul stuck in purgatory and alleviates their pain and hers. They're thankful to her and she to them. Today, she can hardly get an Ave Maria out. She lies in bed awaiting her own death. And when she does have to eat and go outside and get some sun, the family pushes her wheelchair through the house she herself decorated. Yesenia didn't stick around the house for too long. She grew up, attended college, and pursued a career in something she hated, law. She has two sons who don't really obey her, and a husband who has cheated on her twice. She only knows about the first affair. Today, she's moving back to her childhood home. Her bedroom is no longer hers. It is now her father's musical instruments room. Rusty trumpets and trombones cover the walls. Pianos with missing keys sit on the floor. Maracas float around. Drums, too. Her father, Joaquin, doesn't know how to play any of them. Yesenia places a recently washed fitted sheet on the bed next to her abuela. Juana lies on her back, looking up at the ceiling where Yesenia's mother, Matilde, 
has hung a poster of Juana's favorite pope, Juan Pablo II. Hola, Abuela Juana, Yesenia says to her grandmother. She doesn't get a response. Yesenia's mother walks in and ushers her daughter into the hallway. Mira, mija, Matilde begins. You won't get a word out of her. Since you're here, you'll need to help around the house. I know the drill, mommy. Clean the bathrooms, sweep your grandmother's room, cook our dinners. I I did grow up here. Matilde looks at her daughter. She had such big dreams for her. She was going to be the first lawyer in the family and defend them in any case they might come across. Well, Yesenia is technically a lawyer. She graduated and everything, but is her daughter a lawyer if she doesn't practice? Yesenia's hair is tamed the way she showed her, squished down to her scalp. Her daughter has what many carabinos call pelo malo. She couldn't possibly defend a client with her C4 curls roaming around the courtroom. Beneath her glued-down hair are Yesenia's unplucked eyebrows. Maybe that's why she's getting a divorce. Poor grooming. Her daughter's eyes are the color of her Portuguese father's. Green as the cloves that grow in Lago Maracaibo. Of course, those cloves are an introduced species, now dominating the native flora and fauna of the lake. Her nose is as wide as Juana's, nariz grande, and her lips are chapped but still painted red. Now she'll live here with her and take care of Juana. Now she'll rot here, too. Let me finish unpacking, Yesenia says as she walks back into the room. Matilde hangs by the door, her hand steady on the doorknob. When are you going to see your kids? I miss them too, you know. This weekend, mommy. <laughs> Do they listen to you now? Matilde laughs. No, mommy. Matilde walks away chuckling, her six-foot-one-inch frame almost touching the ceiling. She laughs at her daughter's inability to control her own children. Matilde always had a strong hand. Yesenia grew up right. Yesenia finishes tidying up the bed and places her suitcase on top. Nasi, no, not like that. Yesenia looks at her grandmother. Abuela Juana? She doesn't get a response. She places the dirty suitcase back on the floor and takes out her clothing slowly, folding it neatly on the bed and then placing each piece in the remaining space in the closet, just like Juana would do it. Yesenia's been living with her parents for three months now, a summer's length of anxiety. No sign of her getting back together with her husband. A week ago, her husband confessed his second affair. She didn't do much about it, just cried silently 
while picking up fallen leaves in the backyard. Her children have visited the house twice. They don't like sleeping in the same room with zombie bisabuela. They're afraid she'll eat their brains when they're not looking. Yesenia yelled at her now ex-husband on the phone, asking him not to let the children watch horror movies anymore. She curled the telephone cord so tightly around her finger, she still carries its marks. A coiled anaconda asphyxiating her index finger. Doctors say Juana will die any day now. Her dementia is getting to her. As Yesenia goes to sleep, her teeth brushed and her feet washed, her hair tucked neatly under ripped and tied black sheer pantyhose, her lips still chapped, she watches her grandmother sleep next to her. She doesn't snore or move. Juana stays in the same position the entire night. Eyes closed, face up, hands clasped and tucked underneath her breasts, feet pointing upward. Juana never liked the fan on. Yesenia sweats most of the night. A whale wakes Yesenia up. She feels her heart beating down to her bones. It's Abuela. She's shaking in her bed. Yesenia rushes to the wall switch and flips on the light. Her feet thrash around. Her head shakes. Her hands fasten tightly around her own neck. Abuela Juana's face is blue. Yesenia shouts in fear and tries to pull Juana's hands away. They're as strong as she remembers. Hands that grab plantains by the bunches, dogs by their scruffs, bulls by their horns. Matilde and Joaquin slowly enter the room, their eyes wide. Joaquin manages to pull Juana from herself, revealing a splatter of red skin mapped across her neck. Oh, diablo, Joaquin utters. The next morning, Matilde walks back from the linked fence that divides her property from Esmera, her neighbor. She had to soothe Esmera's concerns about the midnight screaming. Yesenia watches her mom step back inside the kitchen and head over to the stove. Matilde cooks Yesenia some arepas. This is her second year relaxing as a retired nurse, and she can't stop waking up at 4 a.m. There are already 20 cold arepas perched next to the stove, but Yesenia likes hers fresh. Her daughter sits on a chair at the counter, staring at the painting of a giant rooster hanging next to the refrigerator. She hasn't slept. She couldn't fall asleep again. She kept checking on her grandmother, soothing her neck with ice from the backyard icebox. The same ice she used to drown in Pepsi-Cola when she was a child and chew until she couldn't feel her tongue anymore. 
Yesenia didn't mind the cold. You heading out to find work today? Yesenia interrupts her yawn in disbelief. Are we not going to talk about Abuela? A lawyer who doesn't work isn't a lawyer. She flips those arepas with her eyes closed. They land on the oiled pan and sizzle. Was she trying to kill herself? ¿Cómo puedes decir eso? How can you say that? The arepas burn a bit on the pan. The ants that crawl in and out of the house stay still, their eyes on Yesenia. Do you think she wants to die? Yesenia composes herself. Who wouldn't want to die in her condition? She can barely move. Matilde walks over to the fridge and takes out a block of cheese. She slowly grates it, making sure her fingers don't go with it. Yesenia eats the arepas and lets the first drips of butter drizzle down her chin before catching the rest of the falling drops with her tongue. She looks up at the clock hanging on the kitchen wall. It's not even 8 a.m., and she's already contemplating what pajamas she'll wear tonight. Today, she'll do better. She'll be better. She'll go out there, find a suitable man, befriend her kids, land herself a job, an apartment, call Matilde's house and say, Mommy, I'm not coming back. Help me clean the kitchen? Matilde asks her daughter. Yesenia forgets her plans and scrubs the tiles with a sponge that's falling apart. Bits of yellow hide beneath her unpolished nails. Some shrink slowly into nothing with each swab. Joaquin walks in midway through the cleaning, hops carefully over the wet spots on the floor, trotting around and muttering things in Portuguese. He has been retired for longer than Matilde, around 15 years longer. He sits outside on the rocking chair he made himself, one of many, and sways back and forth. El periodico panorama gripped tightly in his shaking hands. He was never a young father. How could he have been? When he was 42, he landed in Maracaibo, got off the transatlantic ship, and fell in love with the tallest woman he could find. He toiled as a construction worker for decades. He built the General Rafael Urdaneta Bridge, he likes to claim to Yesenia. Yesenia's young eyes stared at the creases on his hands, crevices filled with dirt and stained with age. Now he doesn't build much. He sometimes tinkers with the blender and the refrigerator, appliances Matilde bought with her night shift earnings. She stands next to him, holding his toolbox, rolling her eyes. Este portugués imbécil. She mutters, too. Joaquin licks his ink-stained thumb before he turns the page. Ants are planning to conquer the bowl of arepas, their antenna twinkling. Yesenia and Matilde 
still on their knees, finish polishing the tiles. Then, they hear it. The ants, too. A shrill scream so high-pitched, Yesenia confuses her grandmother's shriek with the parrot's wail that used to echo around the household every morning. The bird would howl Matilde's name just after she woke up and showered. It liked to be fed when she was eating breakfast, too. The bird, Lorenzo, died a couple of years ago, just before Matilde retired. Matilde likes to say it died. She even made a tombstone out of some leftover wood from one of Joaquin's incomplete projects. The bird didn't die. Yesenia witnessed it slowly regrow its clipped wings over time and fly away. Shit, streaming and landing on the mango tree, its home for seven years. It did what Yesenia would never manage to do. Leave. The three of them rushed to Juana and Yesenia's room. Both beds made the Juan Pablo Dos poster still hanging strong on the ceiling. Juana's not here. Matilde hurries to the closet and crawls in, looking for her mother between dresses wrapped in plastic. Joaquin rushes to the other rooms in the house, screaming, Nengem! Nengem! No one! No one! And Yesenia stands there, some butter unlicked shining on her chin, and watches Juana's bed sometimes bump itself out of its frame. Yesenia points at her grandmother's bed, and Joaquin, out of breath, returns and raises the mattress into the air, some decorative pillows falling off and spilling the glass of water Yesenia had placed on her nightstand. There she was, lying like a fetus, Juana had somehow crawled out of bed and snuck underneath the frame. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. And every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama, to reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Because stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. There's a moment you realize you're ready for what's next in your career. Maybe it's when you're trying a new scone recipe and think, I could open a cafe. 
Or maybe you're helping a coworker and say, I could teach a course on this. Whatever your moment is, it's never too early to plan for a career that lives longer. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. For skills training, resume tips, and job listings, visit aarp.org work. I live by routines, especially my same-day delivery routine with Shipt. Because when Sunday rolls around, I'm not scared. I got my shopper on the way with all my favorites. Shipt, delight in every delivery. Learn more at Shipt.com. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Now, let's get back to our story. It's been three nights since... Yesenia has a theory that her grandmother doesn't want to live on this earth anymore. She wants to go to heaven. Yesenia must find a way to alleviate Abuela Juana's pain and communicate her wishes to Matilde. But Matilde will never have it, her mother committing suicide. They're drinking coffee and playing domino as the paint melts off the walls. The fruit on the mango trees that line Maracaibo's streets have liquefied. It's a feast for every ant in the suburb. Joaquin, Matilde, Yesenia, and their neighbor, Esmeira, don't mind the heat too much since the Caribbean breeze visits from time to time, blowing cool air down their sweaty necks. The neighborhood is quiet. It's a Sunday. Nobody's doing much. Nobody's saying much either. ¿Y cómo está tu mamá? Esmera asks Matilde. Matilde smacks the plastic table with a tile. She drags the piece, a two-sided four, and connects it to one of the ends. It's a tradition to strike your tile on the table, make a tsunami of sound, and stare into your opponent's eyes as you do it. Bien, Matilde responds as she sips some more coffee. Bien, Joaquin scoffs. And what's your deal, foreigner? Matilde asks her husband. She's not okay, is what he's trying to say, Yesenia responds. She hasn't been paying attention to the game. Her efforts will accumulate nothing in points at the end. Sounds familiar. Esmera walks the line between respectful guest and nosy family member every time she visits her neighbors. Esmera welcomed Yesenia's family to the community with a pie as she openly judged the Uskatikis the family that lives across the street from Matilde's house, at every stage of that family's demise. 
Esmera could be found leaning on her shared fence with Matilde, whispering how the Uskategi marriage couldn't stand another miscarriage, how the Uskategi's only son flunked out of school, how the Uskategi's dog bit the milkman, how the Uskategi's lost their car and investments to the recession all while Matilde washed her family's clothes by hand, scrubbing them against the stone in her backyard and hanging them to dry. Yesenia listened to Esmeira's nonsense, too, and she learned a lot from her, like how to keep quiet and how not to respond to Esmeira's gossip or else she'll be the new subject next week. Yesenia doesn't do her hair right, Yesenia's armpits smelled the other day. Yesenia's chickenpox isn't normal. Something's wrong with her. Now, Esmera makes a statement that Yesenia won't be able to nod away. Son las animas pulgas, Esmera breathes out. What? Yesenia asks. Fleas? (laughs) Juana's misbehaving because of fleas? Joaquin laughs. She means the soul's stuck in purgatory, Matilde says. She doesn't look up from her saucer. What about the souls? Her daughter asks. I always said your grandmother prayed to them too much. Why pray to the dead when God is all you need? Esmera drops a tile and shakes her head. She was trying to save their souls. Right, Mommy? Yesenia asks her mother. Matilde places her hand on Yesenia's thigh and looks at her reassuringly. Ya es hora de que te vayas, Matilde warns Esmera. It's time for you to leave. This house has always been a crazy house. I'm glad I can leave. Esmera says as she packs up her own domino game. I was so close to winning, Joaquin complains. Today, Yesenia's kids are visiting. They'll be here in about an hour. Matilde stepped out with Joaquin to buy some wood. They plan to replace the linked fence with a wooden barrier. No more whispers from Esmera. As Yesenia sweeps the backyard and retrieves the toy box from the garage, she hears it again. This time, it's definitely not the parrot. She runs to her grandmother's room and finds her sitting up, her mouth wide open. The noises she's making shatter the bedroom's glass. Yesenia looks into her grandmother's eyes. She's in pain. They shake and beg Yesenia to make it stop. Yesenia, alone and desperate, picks up Abuela Juana and carries her to the backyard. Her grandmother weighs nothing. Yesenia has protected her from the broken glass, but now cannot figure how to make her stop screaming. She places her hands over Juana's mouth and mutes her for a while. As Juana's body glides back and forth on the rocking chair, her eyes begin to tear up. She cries. 
the drops forming a map of 1,000 lakes on Yesenia's hands. Her grandmother suffers in front of her, and she can't help her. The rocking chair stops abruptly when the metal hits Yesenia's exposed toes. They bleed, and all she can do is observe her grandmother falling to pieces. Ayúdame, mi amor. Help me, my dear. The words escape the screams. Abuela Juana is crying for help. Yesenia begins to scream too, but not nonsense, actual words. Déjanos, déjanos, déjamela. Leave us, leave us, leave her to me. She yells out into the air, the mango tree recoiling in fear. She suddenly remembers Steffi's failure of a father. Alejandro, hijo de puta, déjamela, Yesenia cries. They appear. One stands underneath the mango tree, right where Lorenzo took his last shit. Others hang by the hammock, one of them actually lying in it and swinging. Some hide behind drying sheets, perhaps smelling the remnants of yesterday's rain. They're all here, the souls Juana prayed to. Alejandro stands behind Juana, a blue stripe of a long road ornamenting his neck. They are souls that never got to heaven because they're animas pulgas. They killed themselves or died in shame. And Juana called each of their names in prayer, attempting to save them. They're here to take Juana. Maybe Juana didn't try hard enough. Yesenia lets out another shriek. She picks up her grandmother and carries her back inside. Joaquin's yellow Volkswagen Beetle finally arrives. Yesenia can hear the engine. Matilde steps out, shaking her head and giggling. And Joaquin exits the car too, laughing. They reach the path that connects the garage to the backyard and stand still. Joaquin grabs his wife's hand and pulls her inside the house, trying to ignore the souls that pierce them with their dead stares. The Almas try entering the house through every crevice, dead fingers shoved against the broken glass. They peek through, grabbing at air. Doorknobs twist and turn. Joaquin runs around the house, shouting Portuguese nonsense at the exposed windows and banging on doors, scaring the souls away. Yesenia and Matilde cuddle Juana, their ears numb from all the noise. This is when Yesenia stands up, like she's never stood up before against anything. She puffs her chest, grabs Juana's cane that once hid underneath the bed, and heads out. The cane swings around, missing them all. They can't be injured. They can't hurt anyone. What they do see is Anietta 
fiercely fighting for her family and herself. Yesenia curses them, spitting at what appear to be their shadows. You won't take her now, Yesenia claims into the Caribbean air. The ghost landscape surrounding her dissolves. A fisherman city becomes quiet. Lago Maracaibo remembers the first feet that kicked its water, the first fish we consumed. Ants flee. Birds avoid the Caribbean. The beach sand that borders Venezuela recalls the ships that docked, the men who took and took but never gave back. The neighborhood's church bells ring and ring. Rains of salt pour from the ground up, mountains of speckled white forming where the souls once stood. They're gone now. They won't enter the house. Not as long as Yesenia's there, she figures. She spends her days feeding, bathing, and reading Abuela Juana novels. Her marriage does not recover, something she wasn't interested in anyway. Her children now live part-time in Matilde's house. They help sweep up the hills and hills of salt that sat in the backyard on the porch, and next to every bedroom window. Joaquin jokes and says he won't ever buy salt again. He also finally decides to part with a few instruments to make room for some bunk beds. During the day, the children play guitars and accordions and listen to their great-grandmother giggle next door. They're planning on forming a band. At night, Yesenia's children devour the arepas Matilda fries for her grandkids. She refuses to use the soul salt in the arepa mixture. Abuela Juana dies peacefully a couple of weeks later. She thanked Yesenia the night before while they both slept peacefully by whispering something in her granddaughter's ear. Mijita mia, en la tierra como en el cielo. Como en el cielo. My granddaughter, on earth as it is in heaven, as it is in heaven. You know, <clears throat> we began the season thinking, you know what? People really need, they really need uplifting stories. And so that was our intention, to find 
uplifting stories for season seven. And as I've said here before, uh, that just didn't happen. The stories that are out there right now, I think, are in many ways reflective of what we're all going through. But at the same time, I I do think that this story does have an uplifting ending, right? Because here's this woman who seems to have abandoned herself to failure in every aspect of her life. And yet, in the next step in that downward spiral, she comes home to take care of her dying grandmother, which I interpret as the absolute right thing for her to do. And then she goes on this journey of discovery. She discovers the true nature of her grandmother's power, her grandmother's life purpose, and ultimately aligns with it, takes up that mantle, and in doing so gives safe passage, grace, to her grandmother and in the service of giving that grace her life changes her sons come at least sometimes willingly and she feels to me at the end of the story at ease with herself maybe even at peace with her life. And that's the best outcome for any of us, isn't it? To find some peace in this existence. I think that's what we're really looking for, especially in these dark days. When everything seems as cloudy and jumbled and tumultuous as it it certainly was for Yesenia in the story I think at the end of the day we're all looking for a little peace and a little grace in our lives I wish that for you I wish that for all of us Our producer on this episode of LeVar Burton Reads is Julia Smith, the best in the business, y'all. And we have a new researcher this season. That's Lakeisha Lewis. So glad you are aboard, my sister. And our editing and sound design is by Andy Christens, one of the new kids on the block. My great thanks to Anna Hurtado for allowing me to read her story today. It was first published in the July-August 2020 issue of the Magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction, for more of Anna's work, check out her website. And as always, if you enjoy the podcast, please recommend an episode to a friend who you think might enjoy it. You can also leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. And why not include a story suggestion for us? We love them. We read them. We use them. 
And if you would prefer to listen to episodes ad-free and listen to exclusive bonus author interviews, you can do that on Stitcher Premium. Go to stitcherpremium.com slash LeVar to start your free trial. LeVar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher and LeVar Burton Entertainment. Our executive producers are Chris C.B. Bannon, Josephine Maharana, she's the boss, and yours truly, LeVar Burton. And I am LeVar Burton. You can find me on Twitter at LeVar Burton and LeVarBurton.com on Instagram. I will see you all next time, but you don't have to take my word for it. Stitcher. I live by routines, especially my same-day delivery routine with Shipped. Because when Sunday rolls around, I'm not scared. I got my shopper on the way with all my favorites. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at Shipped.com. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not.